Welcome to the Oil and Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast with Sarah Stogner, where each weekly episode touches on legal and risk management issues impacting the energy sector. Visit our website at www.oilandgaslegalrisk.com for more information on today's episode, past episodes, and upcoming OGGN events. Today's episode is sponsored by ThoughtTrace, developers of Alley, an artificial intelligence platform that reads and understands energy agreements and contracts to quickly find critical data. Hey, good morning. This is Sarah Stogner with the Oil & Gas Global Network's Legal and Risk Management Podcast. I am sitting here today with Rob, and I want to pronounce your last name right. Galbraith. <laughs> That's not how I was going to pronounce it, so I'm glad you <laughs> corrected me. Well, thanks for joining me, Rob. So I found you on LinkedIn, and you posted a couple weeks ago that you were coming to New Orleans, and I stalked you and said, hey, I'm going to be in New Orleans then. I'll be home. Can we meet up for a podcast? So it is 7 o'clock in the morning. We are sitting here at the Hyatt outside of the Starbucks, and so thank you to the Hyatt for not kicking us out. And you're here for, it's essentially an actuarial data conference, right? That's right. Yeah. So thanks, Sarah, for having me on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the coffee. And yeah, I'm here for the Casualty Actuarial Society's spring meeting. And so I am one of two folks that are speaking at their last general session on the Internet of Things. So I'm speaking with a guy that's actually really well known called Matteo Carbone. He runs the IoT Connected Observatory. Okay. And so just really excited about kind of talking to the actuaries about, hey, you know, in the past, in your world, you captured information about exposure every six months or every year, right? Okay, this Based is the car. Somebody filled out a lot of times, right? Oftentimes, Even. absolutely, right? So, so some of it's pre-filled data, right? Like you get the VIN and you know a lot of characteristics about the vehicle, right? But then you have to ask, well, you know, how many miles did you drive, right? Are you male or female? What's your age, et cetera? Same thing with a house, right? What was the year built? What's your roof made of? All sorts of stuff like that. And so in this IoT world, you have all these now devices. Now your refrigerator just... can report itself. <laughs> that's right. That's, a, that's right. So, so you have this... A massive amount of information, right? 99.999% of it you don't care about because it's like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, it'll leak, right? And so those were the ones that you care about. And then you care, okay, did that leak like result in the loss or maybe somebody mopped it up with a towel and actually didn't report a claim. But like as an insurer, you want to know about that near miss scenario, right? That's a lot of the information that you're really not getting today. But from an actuary, from a pricing, from a reserving standpoint, what do I do with just this massive amount of big data? Like, how do I set, you know, a homeowner's premium based on that? And so that's really what the conversation today is about. Yeah, well, awesome. So you have a new book out, and it's called The End of Insurance as We Know It, How Millennials, InsureTech, and Venture Capital Will Disrupt the Ecosystem. And before we started recording, I was telling you I was reading it last weekend and was chuckling to myself because you, like me, are a complete self-professed insurance nerd, right? right. <laughs> and my husband is not. But he, he's like, you know what? You guys, you have fun with that. But I think I want to start with, you have at page 14, and you call it the seven fatal flaws of insurance. That in today's world, it's too expensive, too confusing, too easy to game the system. It's a cash drain. It doesn't cover all causes of loss. It doesn't cover everything, and it doesn't cover everyone. And your book is really written towards the personal lines, right? But I think that, that those seven fatal flaws exist for 99% of policyholders, and at least from their perspective, right? It's like, what do I pay for? I, I pay for all this money, and then when I really need something, I don't have what I think I have. And I love that you are 
pushing the boundaries and testing the age-old traditions of, well, we've always done it this way, right? And you make some great examples about you and your dad took a road trip right at the beginning and the map. And I was telling someone the other day, why do we still have endorsements that are affixed to the back of the policy? Why don't we actually change the policy language to eliminate confusion? And for the first time, I don't know, six months ago, I actually saw a policy that was hyperlinked. So when there was a definition, you could actually click on the definition and it would take you to the definition. I was like, oh, that's an improvement. The fact that it's 2019 and I was impressed (laughs) that a PDF had a hyperlink, right? So, you know, and so our audience is mostly oil and gas folks. But in the oil and gas space particularly, the risks are changing all of the time. It's highly technical. You You may have two or three companies doing it one way two or three companies doing it another way. Not that there's a right or wrong way to be doing it. There's just different technologies that everything's proprietary and people are very sensitive about sharing their data. And what we've seen in the, at least the risk aspect, is neither insurers nor policyholders really knowing what data to care about. So, for example, you know, when you drill an oil and gas well, There is technology now that's capable of essentially being a black box of the drilling rig. So we know about black boxes, right, from airplanes. It's not getting traction. It's like people almost don't want to know. So how do you think we can, maybe as an industry, encourage people, okay, data is knowledge and... It's, it may be scary because it's unknown, but we have an opportunity here, right? So where do you think we're going with this? What do you think the industry, our, our underwriter, I guess underwriters are receptive to it, right? We've got the plug in the car so they can track your driving habits. I don't have one right. because. <laughs> That's exactly the problem, right? You don't have one because you don't want them. I don't want them. So the 5 to 10% of it that are perfect drivers and always stop at every stop sign, come Completely. to a full stop, right, that are always under, right, they stop at every red light, don't roll through it. So that's a great question, Sarah. And I was listening to a podcast with a founder of a company called Splice, and they're a data company. And she talks about data for good. Right? And I love this concept of, like, people have shown in today's Internet world, hyperconnected, everything, that they love all the services they get, they love the connectivity they get, right, and the ease of doing business, but they are very skeptical about sharing their data, right? They share it because they have to to get all the benefits right. out of all these services. And, you know, oftentimes you're not presented with a choice of, like, it's okay to use it for that, it's not okay to use it for this, right? And, you know, and in fact, that could be overwhelming, right? If you actually knew the 300 different ways of using your data, you're like, I, right, exactly right. You you don't want to know. But then when you get that telemarketing or that you get on the email list you didn't know you were on, right, for this weird stuff, you're like, how did they get my Yeah, when Google knows what bra size I wear. (laughs) Not creepy at all. Yeah. And so that's exactly what she was talking about was the creepiness factor, right? And so she was from outside the insurance industry. And so she was talking about too often in the insurance industry, we are so focused on pricing, the underwriting, like the internal benefit for the insurer, right? And not necessarily the benefit for the insured. And, you know, telemarketing is a great example because it had, that technology has been around for almost 20 years. And it's changed over time. You used to have the little dongle you had to plug into the port in the car and you had to find the port and all that, right? Over time now, it's all on your phone, right? And you get the Bluetooth and it's talking to your phone and the vehicle has all these stats and this black box right in your vehicle. And 
So now companies like Allstate has something called DriveWise, right? Where it's gamification and it's kind of scoring you on how you drive and it's giving you different tips and this kind of user interface and dashboard. And so my former employer, USA, sponsored one called San Antonio Safest Driver. And so they were giving out weekly cash prizes to the safest driver and they had a grand prize at the end and whatnot. And so it was very, it was with the mayor and all this. And so now, you know, I didn't participate, right? right. I was like, I drive how I drive, right? <laughs> but for a certain segment of the population, that was something they really cared about. And I know that the executives at USA, they were constantly like, comparing the score with each other. Right. And so it was very competitive, like you could set up with your friends and whatnot, just like bit, bit, right, and, and number of steps and stuff like that. So I think those types of experiences are the ones that people are, are looking for. So to your point, it's like sharing it, and I don't know what's going on, that's yeah, creepy. Yeah, how am I going to get any benefit? But if it's, hey, you're going to you know, coach me, and I can save some money, and I might have a chance to win a gift card or something like that, this is a fundamentally different way. Yeah, and I think underwriters, at least on the, the energy side, right, clients have asked me that. Well, okay, if I give them my drilling data, is it going to save me money? And I said, no, it's, it's kind of a cart and a horse, right? So they need enough data to be able to understand what the data means, to be able to show that it's safe and you have to start giving it before there's the benefit so that they can get it to right absolutely chicken and egg absolutely and yeah you can't see me but my arms are doing a very well, good <laughs> <laughs> well so you know a lot of companies have overcome that with they'll give like a research discount right okay. or they'll get so they'll basically I'll give you 5% you know, I had an actuary friend who's basically, we'll give you 5% off for anything, right? And I can't give 5% off to everybody, right? That's right. a problem. But for certain things like that, to adopt new technology, to share your data, it doesn't, you could actually be a worse risk, right? But there's a, a benefit, obviously, to the insurance company for that data. And so they're through some discounts, right? Now, they can suspend that at any time and right. say, hey, we're not doing that. I've got a, advice in my car I've just never taken out. But, you know, years ago... They were collecting my driving data just for research purposes. It didn't affect my rate at all. And then they said, we got enough. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Rob. Oh, okay. Appreciate you sharing. <laughs> You're not getting your 5% discount anymore. And so I haven't even bothered to take the damn thing out. Right. Yeah. But so... You know, but you're right. Like, so I work for a company called AF Group. I'm the new director of innovation. Been there about a month and a half. And so Workers' Comp is our primary line of business. Okay. And so we have an announced partnership with a company called Make You Safe that is a wearable company. And so we're kind of exploring in this space. And so it's just very interesting, like, what these devices can pick up. Yeah, that seen in the oil and gas sector, that would be great. So your H2S monitor, you know, all of your, when you're exposed, they know... You're already wearing that stuff anyways, right? The guys out on the rigs, the guys right. checking the wells, yep. they're already wearing environmental monitoring. They're already wearing protective gear. Yeah, why can't we bring that into the oil and gas sector and say, hey, let's connect these. And when you show that your operations are safe and that your guys aren't getting injured or they, they're not even getting exposed to things that could injure them, then it helps you on your rate. Absolutely. But it's, you know, these devices can capture so much. They can capture the audio of what the guys are saying. Right. Yeah. And it's GPS like, in the cars, right. That says where they've been going. Where you can capture their movement, where they are. Did they, did they go where they should be going or not where they get, should be going? But like the audio part, I mean, that's, you know, obviously if somebody gets hurt or falls down or whatever, like you might want to pick that up or if there's unsafe noise levels and things like that. But on the other hand, it's like you're recording every conversation that they're having. Yep. Right. And so that gets into that creepy factor and whatnot. So companies are really struggling. I think each company is going to find the different balance, balance there for what they want to do. And 
they obviously have to employ, engage your workers, engage unions if you're a union shop, right, and all that, and just kind of have these conversations about, hey, the intent is to make this a safer workplace. Here's what we will capture. Here's what we won't capture. It's a whole new world. It is. And so we don't know what the rules of the road are yet. So let's switch gears a little bit. I have been on kind of a captive kick of, I think, there's not a lot of energy companies using captives. I think that there's probably some really good opportunity there. The midstream market, we call it, which is pipelines, they are still placing policies for companies that operate oil and gas wells, which is upstream. So, for example, a company that all they do is own a pipeline, it will have a, in their general liability policy, it will have an exclusion for a well control loss. They don't have any wells. So they're placing these policies because it's an energy policy for companies and the wording doesn't fit. And it it drives me nuts because inevitably when you get multi-million dollar losses and everyone's like, oh, you're so cynical, but it's cheaper to pay lawyers to fight about it if there's any potential wiggle room than it is to just pay multi-million dollar claims. And of course I have broker friends that say, I just, you know, we just paid a four and a half million dollar loss. And I said, let me guess, it was on an auto policy or it wasn't a standalone pollution policy. You know, it wasn't a, an inland marine equipment policy. It wasn't a general liability policy for an oil and gas company because it's just impossible to write policy language that really encompasses their operations and the nuances of what they're doing. It's your map example in the book, right? You can get a big picture, but we can't dial down on every little thing until we have a claim and then we try to do the best we can. And there's most of the time people try to do right, and I, I, I do agree with that, but they also look at it as a business. And it's one of the few things that if the insurance company denies you coverage, it's not like a contractor where you can just go hire another one and fix it. You can't get another policy, right? So the policyholder is up, you know, what's Creek? So what do we do? And and where do you think that, the like, where's the opportunities? And I love your example in the book of, well, one thing for property example, right, is it doesn't, if you're within this bubble, you get a flat payment. It doesn't matter if you had damage. And then we don't have to worry about the appraisals and we don't have to worry about all those but then some people win, some people lose, right? So there's all these opportunities if we can just kind of start talking about it and put our heads together. Do you really think that the insurers are going to be willing to change this model to, like, make real changes to, to offer new things? You know, I, I don't even want to say policies because, you know, is there a way for us to... Yeah, better at this. That is a great question, Sarah. So I think that's going to be, for the most part, longer than some of these more like innovative pricing or whatnot. So I have a, a stat in the book that, so we had kind of InsurTech 1.0, right? And I had to tell a story about a gentleman by the name of Vincent, right? Who showed up at my boring underwriting conference that I love, right? You said insurance nerd. Yeah. And so we see each other every year. And all of a sudden, this guy from Silicon Valley is at one of my underwriting conferences in Indianapolis one year. And it's like, oh, okay. You know, hi, nice to meet you. Why are you here just right. curious right and it's like i'm here to learn about your industry because once i go to this conference that's three days and i learn everything i need to know about your industry like we're gonna come in and put you out of business right okay. oh nice to meet you too yeah, right. <laughs> so i'm talking about the arrogance of silicon valley and it's 2019 happy to report still planning to have our underwriting conference later this year actually here in new orleans oh, yeah? <laughs> so 
insurance is different, right? For a variety of different reasons. It's a legal contract. It's a financial instrument. It's the only financial industry that you're not supposed to speculate on, right? So you're not supposed to, it's not like a stock or a bond where there's kind of winners and losers, right? This principle of indemnification. I want to put you back to your pre-law state or as close as I can right. to that, right? But I, that means I need to adjust the loss and I need to see if it's a covered loss and all that, right? All the things that we know and love in the insurance world, or, or maybe don't, we, we know, but we don't love. <laughs> and so, now we are in InsureTech 2.0, where all these technology companies and all these entrepreneurs with great ideas, and they see all these problems, as you mentioned, the seven fatal flaws, are coming in with different value props, but they want to partner with the insurance industry. And I think some of those are going, okay. I will tell you that a lot of startups kind of come to me privately and they'll say, Rob, we're in proof of concept, right. pal, right? You know, right. we're in pilot purgatory. Like, how do we get out of this? How do we go on? And they'll say, you know, we, we've had this ongoing relationship with the carrier for 12, 18 months and we're ready to finalize the deal, right? The pilot was successful, all this. And then they just walk away at the altar, right? And now we're stuck. And yeah. so we've invested all this time and energy in this partnership. And, you know, for the, for the big guy, right, it's not a big deal because they're talking to lots of other folks and they're a multi-billion dollar company. Right. But for us as a startup, right, we've invested right. a lot of time and energy. And so we've kind of put our eggs in the wrong basket. So I think we're going to get to a, what I would call InsureTech 3.0 at some point, which is kind of mixed modal. I think some will partner and will partner effectively, but I think some are going to disrupt the industry. And I think they're they're learning about our industry currently, right? That's a phaser in. So it's not just I'm going to show up at the underwriting conference for three days and learn everything I need to know about yeah, the oil and gas industry yeah. and, and, and general liability policies and pipelines and middle market and all that. But, but over time, right, they will gain that sophistication. So if it's a successful partnership with a current carrier, then great. But if it's not, I think they'll say, well, I learned a whole lot through the attempts to partner now I can come to market. You know, you see folks like Lemonade, right? It's kind yeah. of one of the small, kind of less than 10% that's really gone in and really tried to disrupt. And they have this concept of an open policy of right. just like, hey, you write whatever language you want in there. Now, I think me and a lot of my colleagues are the, skeptical. How is, is that, that nice, going to work? Is that a nice way to put it? <laughs> skeptical is a, is a friendly way to put it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But, but you're also is, talking about rel- it's renter's policy. Absolutely. And, right, you're talking about relatively small losses. Completely different type of risk, right? right? And then you have these on demand, right? It's like, well, you can add or not add this, you know, I want my camera for my flight, but as soon as I got here, I want to take it off or whatnot. And I can kind of add or delete items and it doesn't really matter. There's no like excluded classes or anything like that. So there's, there's some on the margins at the very, very low end, right? That are doing this. Now, 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, like who knows on the timing, right? Maybe we do get to that point where it is, hey, it's, it's not just somebody's got to sit and, and manuscript write that policy, right? And most people don't want to do yeah. it because it just takes a lot of time and effort. So unless it's a huge account, it's, it's not worth the time and effort. Maybe that process does become simpler. Yeah. There's certainly regulatory issues that I think, we, you know, need to, because everyone's got to file their forms for yeah. the state and it's got to well, get approved. Well, you know, and, the good thing about oil, good or bad about oil and gas is it's a lot of surplus lines. Yeah, so, so that, that absolutely excess and surplus buyer beware. Huge, yes. Yeah. But to your point, it's like but you can also get creative. You can absolutely get creative and but it but to your point about the buyer beware and hey, this is what I thought I had, but then when I try to put in my claim, right. This so, is what actually happened and now it's dragging out and you know, we're, yeah. we're fighting over it. Do you think cuz I think one place I see an immediate chance for kind of growth or change and I know my broker friends are going to call me and say, Sarah, be quiet. But it's the same thing that we see with real estate agents, right? So 
we're not really, people aren't necessarily needing a real estate agent in the same way that they used to 10 years ago. doesn't mean that real estate agents don't have their purpose, right? They're great at helping you find, negotiate, navigate through the, le- the legal stuff of getting into a contract and buying a house. But you don't, you no longer need them. To tell to, you what's on the market. To tell you what's on the market. We've yep. got apps, right? Yep. We've got Zillow. We've got Realtor.com. So in insurance, I still think that there's a place for brokers we, to help guide, but there are a lot of bad brokers out there. <laughs> and I, I, people, you know, there's just like there's bad lawyers and there's bad yep. doctors. There's a bad everything. So in my mind, I think that there's really an opportunity for good brokers to say, okay, how can we change the broker model? And I always warn people of be wary of commissions, you know, flat fee, get a broker and you pay them to make sure that they get you the best policy. And if you have a broker that says, well, there's absolutely no coverage, don't always, you know, we're not perfect. Just like if a lawyer right. tells you there's that's no right. coverage, get a second opinion, right? That, and that's, that's the exactly way, that's right. the reason insurance is there for when something bad happens and you need it, you file a claim. And then people say, well, my premiums are going to go up. Well, yeah, but then why did you pay the premiums if, you know, so. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. But helping people navigate that process. And so have you heard on the broker end, are brokers out there trying to say, let's change the model of what we're doing? Some are and some aren't, right? Yeah. It's it, it's definitely a mix. And I think, so I get a lot of questions from kind of agents and brokers about their world. And I kind of say, you know, I do think the nature of it will change over time. I think exactly like you said, like the stockbroker used to call them to get a quote on, you know, right. what's hey, IBM what's... doing today, right? Now I can look that up on my app. I don't need the broker for that. But I still may need the broker for more financial services high end. Like, yes, if I just want to day trade and Charles yeah. Schwab it, I can, right? But if I'm managing like an estate or portfolio of money or whatever, I'm still going to want that investment professional. Right. Right. And even change that terms, right? From stockbroker now to kind of investment professional, managing money, right? Rather than just a trader, right? Right. So it's the same in real estate. It's the same for insurance agents and and, and brokers, right? So the easy stuff, the low end, right? I do think that's going to go digital. And I honestly think brokers don't want to waste their time with right. the small accounts anyway because it costs them from an expense more than they get in terms yeah, it, of commission. Well, it's an errors, right? no emissions liability. Absolutely, and- yeah. You know, and so I also think your customer is going to come in having already done some of their homework. And so they're going to do some research, just like for a doctor, right? You've been on WebMD, right? Yeah, kind of diagnosing your symptoms go- before Dr. you go Google. in there. And you may <laughs> ask them about a certain right, drug and whatnot. And so certainly doctors can roll their eyes and kind of say, okay, I know you saw that ad for this on TV, right. but... That's not what you have. This is right. So I think that's where, you know, yes, some of it's correcting misinformation that a customer may walk into your door with because there's only so far they can go on their own, right? But I also think for the most part, you are getting a more intelligent consumer that's walking in the door and is asking more intelligent questions. And so if you really know your stuff, I think they will sense that better and that you'll be able to build that trust. It's all about trust. And so to your point about good brokers. And the other thing too is there's ratings. So people are trying to start, like there's a company called ClearSurance that started with ratings on insurance carriers and now they're starting to do agents. So maybe they get in the broker space. So it's kind of like a Yelp for insurance, right? Mm, it's like you go- I'll need to look at this, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's supposed to be an unbiased source of reviews, right. right? On all aspects of kind of the value chain. And so I don't know whether it will be as popular as Yelp or not, but just know that whether it's ClearSurance or something else, eventually that will be out there, right? It'll right. be kind of those ratings and reviews just as we see on Amazon and Uber and all that. Right. If you guys could do me a favor and like, 
leave a review for this podcast. That's the best way for us to get exposure and let other people discover how much fun we can have reviewing insurance and risk management issues. So I ask people, you know, if you had a crystal ball and you could see 10 years into the future, what do you think we'd be talking about? Like, so, you know, what do you think's the next thing or where, where are we? Yeah, uh, one thing I talk about it uh, towards the end of the book and, you know, 10 years feels like the right space. It's really hard to, to, yeah. to say is what I call, you know, alternative risk transfer or quasi insurance or things that today, like we don't necessarily consider insurance. So you kind of asked about the policy in the insurance world and right. It's evolved over time. It, it's just like layers of paint on a house. That's what I tell people, right? And at a certain point, you kind of just need to start stripping it back rather than put another kind of paint on the 20 that are already on there, right? Yeah. And so you see it in parametric insurance, right? Yep. Where, Which hey, for people, that's the example of if you're within the bubble of there was a hurricane, you get paid X amount even if you didn't have actual damage. So Hurricane Maria is a perfect example of where that product would have been very, very valuable, right? Puerto Rico, remote island. Right. I know a lot of oil and gas assets can be right in the Gulf of Mexico and other places that are actually very difficult to, to, to get to. And so, boom, you know, Hurricane Maria comes on shore and, you know, the power grid goes down. It's just devastating, like, getting food and water and right. supplies out much there. Much less adjusters. Much, exactly, much less adjusters, much less, you know, out of San Juan and into the mountains of Puerto Rico and other remote locations, right? And it took months, right, to even get anybody out there to even look at the damage and to assess the claim. Whereas a parametric insurance, yeah, to your point, Sarah, it's like, oh, boom, we have a recorded wind speed that's by the National Weather Service, so it's kind of an independent third party, right? We know it was 120 miles an hour at this location. Well, we know 120 mile an hour winds do this type of damage to this type of you know structure, structure that you have. Boom, just automatically pays out. And if that money had been in their account from the next day, right, then the recovery process could have started a whole lot sooner. So I think there are those types of opportunities that are out there. Yeah, and just. We see a lot of insurance-linked securities and other things like catastrophe bonds, right? So not just having to go through your traditional reinsurance to get cover for kind of high-risk activities, but you've got investors that basically were looking for yield that were saying, hey, interest rates are, are at or near zero for the right. last decade. I'm willing to take a risk and a risk that's uncorrelated with traditional market risk with stocks and bonds, right? right. Which and, is what Lloyd's has been doing absolutely. for hundreds of years. Yep. So, you know, I, I think there's tons of capital out there. There's tons of risks that need to be Which covered. Which, if anybody needs to get rid of their capital, I'm willing to take it. I, you know. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 It's funny. It's, you always hear about the capital swimming around and you're like, oh, my credit card statement balance isn't going down in your month. You could just apply a little bit there. Yeah. So I do think at some point some smart people are going to kind of figure some ways out just to customize risks like you talked about earlier with captives. And, uh, and, and there's, I, I have a, a gentleman that I did a, a book swap with that is like passionate about captives and it's oh, just really you yeah. gotta connect us yeah so we'll we do nerd we'll out do about absolutely yeah yeah so i i do think in a decade uh well and i may not be fully there i think you are going to see kind of things that you're almost wondering is this really insurance anymore or not right and it has risk transfer elements to it a but then global it, risk management transfer yeah, yeah so it has some of those properties but also some that maybe look a little bit more speculative like the hurricane example right well you're going to get a payout well I didn't indemnify you, right? right? I just decided this is the right amount. And so you might have actually profited from that, or maybe it right. actually didn't cover everything that you needed covered. But the emphasis is to try to take cost out of the system right. to say, you know, the current insurance model expense ratios are close to 30%. So that means on every dollar in premium, right. 30 cents of right. that is going to expenses. Overhead. 
compared to a credit card, which is highly regulated, which has you know Visa and Mastercard in there. You've got a bank in there. You're rife with fraud, right? And they can do that at three percent. Yeah. So right. why is insurance a ten x over? So I don't think insurance will ever get down to three percent right. expense ratio, but there's huge opportunities for efficiency gains in our yeah. current world. Yeah, and you know you saying that. So if you do the parametrics and say you can click a button, say I wasn't injured, invest that for me. Take that and put it in the stock market or put it in something that's maybe a little bit more speculative. And then the next time where I really am damaged, look, I get more than I need it. So there's, there's all kinds of opportunities. Well, thank you so much for joining me. So tell people if they want to learn more, you know, they can find your book on Amazon, right? Yep. Okay. So the book is told, uh, sold exclusively on Amazon. It is in both the paperback version and the Kindle version. Okay. And you have an uh, audiobook coming? I love I, audiobooks. I, I do. I, I don't have a, it's TBD on a date, unfortunately. Okay. And so I've been asked many times about an audiobook. It would be perfect for that format. And a lot of people say they want to hear the author read yeah. the book. And so it's really my time. I just haven't had the time to sit down. It's been kind of a whirlwind since it came out in February. So I need to sit down. I need to have the nice mic set up that you've got here and talk to audio pros and, and, and do it. So absolutely something I've committed to doing, but it's not available yet, unfortunately, an auto book. Um, you can go to my website, endofinsurance.com. You can see reviews. You can listen to this podcast when it gets posted yeah. as well as others and just see other reviews. And I'm always kind of putting content out there. I also try to do one book event a month. So oh, wow. I just came uh, to our own from Denver where I had a book event. And so it's great just to have a kind of a meetup of uh, like-minded people. So these are insurance professionals, but they're also uh, technology buffs as well as risk managers right. and others. I just or kind of a millennial. I am like right on the edge. I do not claim the millennial, but I get reminded frequently that I am so technically I am a millennial. Solidly in Gen X. And the older I get, the more I feel like I identify less with boomers and more with millennials. I, I don't know. I'm just like that swing. Like, but you get the choice. I right? it's, it's just, it's foisted upon me that I'm that's you're true. a millennial. That you're is born true. In, yeah. You were born in the 80s. You're a There's millennial. There's lots of reluctant millennials out there, I will say. Yeah, absolutely. Those are early 80s. Of, those of us from the early 80s are like fighting tooth and nail. But Well, thank you so much. And, you know, hey, next time you're in New Orleans, let's, let's do this again. I love it. Okay. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks. Hey everyone, it's Julie here with the events on deck for May 2019. We have our Midland Happy Hour on May 21st at Midland Beer Garden, and it will be from 6 to 9. And then we have our Houston Happy Hour, and it's going to be at the Cannon from 6 to 9 on May 28th. This month we have the Oil and Gas Smart Contracts Conference on May 15th and 16th, and we will actually be launching another one of our new podcasts live from that event. So check it out. The link is in the show notes. We have the Merge Market Energy Forum on May 21st. At, it's in Houston. Just check that out in the show notes. And then we have a charity event, Golf for Good. That's a golf charity event for Redeemed Ministries. That's going to be on June 11th, 2019, and they are still looking for sponsors. So check that out in our show notes, and if you want to sponsor or register, just click the link in the show notes. And that is it for the month of May. Some events on deck in the, the coming months. We have Shoot for the Future, a clay shoot on Friday, July 26th, and then... Napes and the, the Nape Summer is coming up in August and that is it for our upcoming events. 